1: to your local watering hole for all things geeky. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And off this week is Christy Morris. So I have filled her seat with none other than Jedi Master John Mills. John, it is just great to have you back here in the 602 Club.
0: Thank you, thank you. But I would never think to sit in Christy's seat. I am, in fact, in my typical hermetically sealed and uh, preserved chair, my bar stool that is preserved for me for every day. Every time I come on the show, Christy, I am not in your chair. Please do not hold it against me. I, I would never do
1: no, that. No, we to you. we put the like. You know, you know how your grandmother used to have the plastic over exactly. the couch. You yes. know, we put that over your chair until you're ready to come in, and then we unwrap it for you. So
0: I, yeah, I do not have the time to work a groove in yet another stool. I like, I, This I mean, is perfect the way it is. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's gonna be fun uh, this week. We're uh, diving into a new Star Wars book. We've got the second book in the Alphabet Squadron Shadowfall. Fall. Uh, but uh, just want to say a huge thank you to everybody that's joining us. Uh, don't forget you. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, uh, you know, anywhere from Spotify to Apple Podcasts to any podcatcher out there. Uh, if you happen to be, you know, on uh, Apple Podcasts, you know, please do hit us up with a Star rating Review. Let people know uh, what you think of the show. It really does also help the show grow when you do that. Um, you can find us on Twitter at FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek.FM. We've got the listeners only discussion group there on Facebook called the Babel Conference. You can join and talk to listeners all over the world. We are on Instagram at TrekFM. And then of course, Trek.fm is our website where you also have a contact section and you can write Christy and I there uh, under the 602 Club banner and uh, let us know whatever you have to say about the show or thoughts or anything like that. Uh, and last but not least, I want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers here through Patreon Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millettendale, Noah. They have been supporting the show for so many years now. And we just really appreciate their support. Uh, and also, you know, uh, it is what keeps this network coming to you each and every week. It's a very expensive prospect to put this on each and every week with all the different shows we've got coming at you. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm. See how you can be part of the team. Uh, honestly, every little bit helps. We've got some great contribution levels as well that have different perks. Again, that's patreon.com slash Trek FM. So, John, um, this book kind of picks up where we left off with Alphabet Squadron. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the end, you know, this book is really about Alphabet Squadron trying to set a trap to lure, you know, uh, the Shadow Squadron out from hiding um to where Alphabet squadron can fully take them down down mm-hmm. and this all takes place in this very kind of uh strange system in the star wars universe cerberon uh and which is orbiting a black hole so there's no mm-hmm. sun so that's very interesting um and There are a bunch of different planets in this system, and so, you know, we can do a lot of planet hopping as well throughout this book. And I just thought it was really interesting, this whole idea of, you know, one of the things that we've talked about before, especially with Alexander Freed's books, you know, he did the Battlefront book, the first one, and this book is so... Military minded like we're talking about a lot of strategy in this book a complex mm-hmm. plans of trying to draw in this this shadows uh, shadow uh, wing and uh, to me that was really interesting to see in this book like you this is definitely I mean as has been said about his books before he's putting the wars in Star Wars.
0: Yeah, I, I mean it's it's sort of like um, almost like a Tom Clancy light sort of feel. Where it's yeah, very interested good, with the that's a good thought yeah, laying out the strategy and tactics and how the ships are working and you know the 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 mechanics of it all, you know giving it i mean the 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 credit I'll definitely give freed is that he he does go to great lengths to present a very um functional star wars universe, yes you know the the ships you get the sense of things that go wrong and things that work and He really, really leans into this idea that the Rebels, or New Republic at this point, rather, are fighting with ragtag ships. And he gives, you know, it's easier to convey that visually than, uh, you know, with words. And I think Freed does a very good job of giving, uh, you know, great descriptions of ships and surroundings so that you get a sense of building that mental picture in your head. That, that's one of the things that Freed, I think, is very, very good at.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, you really get a sense of, you know, when he's describing, you know, whether it's Nath's uh, Y-Wing, um, you know, Will's A-Wing, uh, Chas's uh, B-Wing, you know, all of these mm-hmm. wings are, seem to be put together with, uh, bailing wire and spit and maybe some gum, you know, mm-hmm. like they're really yep. being held together Um, uh, just ta- just tangentially like there's they do seem to be flying apart all the time. And yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, this is a very functional Star Wars universe here in the sense that we are very much in the mode of of talking about the military tactics and, and uh, what these uh, characters are going to do to kind of set this trap for uh, their nemesises. And, you know, one of the things I kind of want to ask you about this, this whole idea, like we're setting this trap for shadow wing, but I don't know if you felt like this, but I kind of felt like, you know, we were, they were easily dispatched by alphabet squadron for the most part and sent into basically exile Uh, to to have to reform. It seems strange to me that they're so worried about this shadow. Like they seem to be built this shadowing up big time, and and part of that is because we know they were a part of Operation Cinder, Mm -hmm. um, which is just just horrible thing. Uh, that you know the empire uh, the emperor had instituted after his death and all, and but other than that, I mean, once Alphabet Squadron took them on at the end of that book you know they they decimate them pretty handily and send them again into exile so it made it, it maybe wonder like what is it a uh, am i was i missing something in this book did i miss uh, uh you know something that uh made them this valued enemy that we need to make sure we're putting all these resources in to trying to trap
0: Uh, I think that that would be a shortcoming in the book is that I I agree with you that there's uh, very much relying on the idea of their reputation uh, to power the story along uh, and give the sense of danger. And I think that the trap that it winds up springing on itself is that sort of trap that also doomed, uh, in my opinion, a character like Worf in Star Trek The Next Generation. Where it was constantly reminded He's a Klingon, he's a fighter, he's a warrior He comes from a proud warrior race And then every time he got in a fight He was bounced around the walls And it was like, well, Worf doesn't really seem that tough Right, and, right, but I'm yes. supposed to believe that he's tough And I'll go along with it Well, they keep telling me he's it. tough, John Right He's tough it, Yes, exactly And I think that's the sort of trap that this falls into Is it's, 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 it's relying on the reader trusting that this fabled Imperial wing is that tough. Well, of course they're that tough. That's why everybody cares about them and they're monstrous. And we know they're monstrous because of Operation Cinder and all of this sort of stuff. Uh, so, I, th- I mean, I think it's, it's in the best of circumstances, difficult to walk the line of character focus and, uh, you know, balancing between the protagonist and the antagonist and, and those sorts of things. And I just think that that sort of added sense of menace is a casualty of trying to walk that balance.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point, uh, that and, and you kind of bringing up that whole idea of like reputation and Wharf as an example was, was just spot on because that's kind of how I felt in the book. Um, and even here in this book, you know, they're able to Escape the trap, mm-hmm. and escape with their lives again. Uh, but I don't really get the sense that it was because they were necessarily anything special, you know. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing where I wanted maybe just show me something about Shadowing that that makes them feel almost like godlike. Honestly, when it comes mm-hmm. to being a fighting squadron. You know, in the same way that, um, you know, the Rogue uh, series books, you know, the Rogue Squadron books kind of turned that squadron into this unstoppable force, you know. Uh, right. You know, with Mike, Mike Stackpole's books there. Uh, and so uh, where you know, it just seems like there's nothing that they can't do. And and Shadow Wing hasn't really felt like that, I feel like, in this series, other than, again, they followed, you know, uh, the... A machine Palpatine's commands to obliterate a planet with Operation Cinder. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it seems like any wing could do that. It doesn't take anybody super special. It just makes them super evil to have followed that kind of order, really.
0: Yeah. And, and the thing is, you mentioned Rogue Squadron. I'm glad that you did. Because this this is that constant tug of war, and we you know we've talked about this over on aggressive negotiations and online and all of that sort of stuff. And th- this is not a new complaint that I'm lodging, nor is it, nor do I think that it's necessarily original. You know, I, I'm sure many other people have, have had this sort of note about what they're doing with Star Wars right now, and it's one of those things where the nagging sense I have throughout this entire book. And I had it, you know, honestly, through Alphabet Squadron as well, is, oh, well, okay, this is basically going back and saying, well, we had those Rogue Squadron books, and they were really good, and people liked them, so let's do that again. Right. But we'll put our own spin on it. And that's just not – that's sort of a problem is the repeating the formula aspect of everything is, I think, the other trap that this book gets – Pulled into is it's almost like the black hole is symbolic of <laughs> Star Wars's <laughs> legacy, and they're having trouble trying to get away from it. And if they're not careful, it's going to suck them in and crush it all.
1: You know, I can't disagree with you there, um, because and I and I think you know what does what does uh, this book a disservice is the fact that we do have a representation already in Star Wars literature of a excellent wing squadron mm-hmm. series right? Um, that was already beloved. And this one is definitely trying. What I appreciate is they're not trying to just recreate that in the sense they're just basically doing the exact same thing and slapping a new name on it. But at the same time, I think there was, there was something to the reason that those books were so popular that th- I would say so far, this series has been completely unable to capture.
0: You know, I, I want to ask you though, because I I'm not disagreeing with you. I agree with you. It hasn't really been able to capture that lightning. What is the What do you think the biggest hurdle is there? Like, do you think that it's the yeah. structure or the approach or, uh, you know, do you think that this is this follows a pattern too closely or do you like w- w- What do you think is the biggest contributing factor to that?
1: You know, um, I it is the same problem that I have with most of the sequel trilogy era, which is context, and mm-hmm. um, you know, the uh, it, again, uh, let me just use the X wing books as an example because it's a good for one for one because they're very similar. Uh, those X wing books were about um the retaking of important parts of uh the Empire. From the Empire, from the Imperial Remnant, um, they in fact they fight all the way to Coruscant uh, in those books and liberate Coruscant. Uh, and so this this series seems to be trying to do something similar in the sense of giving you a taste of what life is like for the New Republic very early, uh, the mm-hmm. frustrations that come along with that of trying to rule uh, a New Republic and trying to quell the the the. To basically the uh, imperial resistance that you have, um, mm-hmm. I think the problem is is whereas those books, there is a very large picture of what's going on, and you you always understand the missions that the X-wing squadron is on, why they're on those missions, and why they're important to the larger scope of the Star Wars universe. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not it's not myopic in any way. I would say these books are utterly myopic. They are so hyper-focused on just the story they're telling that I have no idea why these stories are important or what they have to do with the rest of what's going on in the larger Star Wars galaxy. And part of that I get is because, as I was thinking about this, you know, this series is is before The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. So... How much, do they, well, how much leeway really do they have to play anyway? And so I get why they're focused, but I think it truly hurts the story because they just don't have a large enough swath of the galaxy to be able to play with in a way that lets them do something that, again, kind of feels important and that you actually understand why it's important.
0: See, I, I think it's very interesting that you you hit on that because you're right. This does take place timeline-wise before the Mandalorian. And so that gives us a pivot point that is interesting because, of course, you know, we, we start focusing on Admiral Ray Sloan, you know, mention right. of her, and then she shows up at the end and everything, where it feels, again, like there's a, to speak to your point, there's a disparity in focus. In terms of the fact that I've heard about Admiral Ray Sloan, I know that that's a thing that's happening It's an interesting character. I like the character of Admiral Sloan. but if you're going to set something in this specific time frame, I need it to do more to advance what the story is, like the world building, if you will and right. I think that I think that you're right. I think that they're in an awkward. Shifting point because if this story, this book feels like it belongs much more to the pre Mandalorian release order mentality of building toward the sequel trilogy, whereas it feels like the rest of the materials that we have and that we're getting are shifting more toward that televised, that Disney plus focus. So, I'm agreeing with you just in a very verbose way, but you know, it's like that this whole thing feels like a slow build to 30 years later, as opposed to building context to five years later.
1: Well, and, and so let me put this in context then, uh, with, uh, books in this era, right? You know, one of the, the few books in this era that I have absolutely 100% loved. And I know you did too, was bloodline. Yep. Why is that? Because bloodline did such an excellent job of giving us an overview of the entire, uh, political structure, the galaxy. I truly understood what was going on and and why the story was important and how it was leading into what we were going to get in like the, you know, the, uh, the force awakens and everything like that. It was dropping all these great hints. Um, it helped that Leia was there and, and truly involved in the story. It felt important for her to, uh, you know, especially since it's the revelation for the galaxy of who her and Luke's father is to everyone. I mean, that, that kind of thing, like, they were doing something that they hadn't done, and and the you know the original EU and all. Um, honestly, uh, Resistance Reborn I thought was a great book too because it was bringing a lot of things together before you got to that final movie, um, and. This series, to me, the Alphabet Squadron series has kind of fallen into the trap I felt like the uh, the Aftermath series did has nothing to do with Windig or his writing style. Really, it was just about not feeling like the stories were as important as they should be you know because this is such right. a pivotal era of Star Wars right this is this is the rebuilding of the new republic and it seems like that should feel like exciting and fun and and challenging and dangerous all at the same time and there seems to be absolutely none of that in these books
0: and that is always going to be a difficult thing because people want also to, there are people who want to see something different something new something fresh and that is entirely possible to give us both aspects of that because because we're looking at this you know to speak to your point very tight focus here and you might say well wait a minute you know this book is about alphabet squadron why do you need to go out and do these sort of bigger uh you know pieces of the galaxy and setting up the the background and stuff like that, and the only thing that I can possibly say to that is because it 's star wars that 's always mm-hmm. important that's always going to be important yep is the world yep. building in star wars it's all no matter where it happens in the yep. saga it's important that it feels a piece of that and
1: yep, absolutely
0: i don't know. And th- this is the very difficult thing: is these complaints are not to detract from Freed's talent at all, because he is, you know, like we both said earlier, he's a good writer.
1: Yeah, he knows what and he's doing. And we both liked uh, Battlefront too, so right. it yeah.
0: And and so it's not a reflection on him. This is more a reflection of a good writer given, I think, too narrow. Exactly. Uh, lane to stay yeah. in,
1: and that's not his fault. You know, he can only do no. so much. I mean, he did the best he could with what he had to work with. I think, and yes. because you can only give you the rope that they're going to give you when you're writing a tie-in novel, that's it. right You know, so um, I truly feel like there's a lot of things he's just being held back from being able to do, and and that's that's not necessarily on him. And again. I, I say this book tries to make as as much as possible of the characters and the situation that he's got to work with.
0: You know what? I think that that is that is a spot on thing. Is that this is it's almost it, it's too conservative. It doesn't mm. feel like he's allowed to go for broke. I, I get the I get the essence through this book of a writer who wants to push for something big, sure. but is told to pull back on it. Yeah. And so he goes as big as he can, but he's not allowed to go where his instincts are taking him. Right.
1: Well, and and that's the, that's what was really interesting because to me, this has an Empire Strikes Back feel as a book, you know, where all of the Mm. characters are not together much. We kind of segregate the characters into different groups, doing different things, which allows us to be able to learn more about them. You know, we really got to see Will and Nath kind of grow closer together as friends which I thought was interesting. We also saw will mm-hmm. kind of grow into a leader, which he was not expecting to have happen, which was kind of neat to see that leadership come out of him and actually mm-hmm. have Nath kind of come, uh, you know, basically under him and be like, I'm, I don't want to be the leader, but I'll support you as the leader. Cause I think you'll be a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we learn more about Chas and her her history, um, you know, and what makes her the way she is, you know, where she comes from, you know, why she is so kind of self destructive. Um, um, Kairos and and uh, Adon, we learn why they're so close because you know, that first book it alluded to it that they had this really deep relationship, and we get to really dive into that story, and we also. I mean, by the end of the book, we have a full reveal of who she is. You know, she's mm-hmm. she's completely unmasked by the end um, in every way possible in, in the sense that she shows who she is, you know, after she's healed. Uh, and so this book kind of becomes that Empire Strikes Back where basically, you know, nothing goes to plan. And actually, you know, when you look at where our heroes are at the end, they're kind of in a slightly worse position that they were at the beginning of the book. Um, because, mm. you know, shadow wings escaped. Uh, obviously the, the new Republic doesn't realize one that they've also linked up with, um, uh, Admiral Ray Sloan, which is going to be help to them. Um, and yeah. two, uh, you got the Palpatine, you know, uh, machine coming back to life saying, you know, you're just part of a, you know, this, uh, cog in a greater wheel, basically. Um, and let Operation Cinder begin, and we're kind of left to wonder, is this thing malfunctioning? Is it actually coming back to life? Like, what's going on here? So, like, Shadow Wing kind of ends up, to me, I think, in a better place than Alphabet Squadron does, where their squadron's kind of been decimated, and they've got their leader taken away because of everything that, you know, happened uh, there. Uh, And so... Uh, it, again, this book really seems like it's trying to play that kind of Star Wars game of that we're in a more Empire Strikes Back type of feel, which, you know, is is not necessarily a bad thing to do when you're doing a trilogy. Um, I the, the problem is, I think it just doesn't quite gel together in the way that you want it to, and, and part of that all stems from the problems that we were already talking about.
0: Yeah, I I can see what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with it, though, because I don't know if this is just a function of the tie-in books or what have you, but throughout the whole thing, there wasn't a sense of um, real peril. And I know that we have characters who get wounded. We have characters who die. We have bad things happen. And yes, shadowing getting away is a bad thing, but that in and of itself feels inevitable. Because I know they're not going to end the series here. So, right, right. So, you know, of course they're going to get away. So, like, that whole final battle is robbed of any sort of oomph. Because I'm like, okay, we're just, we're just going to figure out how they get away. And so, you know, and then there's a little surprise turn in. Oh, with, with uh, you know, with Quell. Oh, okay, yeah, all right, that's kind of surprising. But it's not a feeling of anything but inevitability. Like this is just the way it's going to play out, and I, I just yeah yeah you know
1: no I, I I completely get what you're saying, and and I think um the problem with kind of and maybe you'll agree with this is the problem of trying to kind of do that one for one where like oh this is the middle book we need to have it have the Empire Strikes Back type feel is that instead of feeling like original it just feels inevitable the things that happen right and so you 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 and. And that's the thing about Star Wars, look, you, you know, the idea of having it rhyme, it can't just be kind of a one for one. And I think that's the thing here is it doesn't rhyme enough. It's more of a one for one.
0: And I think that there, I mean, there there are so many possibilities for, I was really excited because in the beginning it's like, oh, and it's orbiting a black hole. I was like, oh, wow, that's going to be really Okay, how is this going to play in? And in the end, it's like, it kind of plays in, but not really. And then there's, I mean, I just thought also that the, we're we're going full spoiler mode here, or do you want me to hold back on anything? Because there's an element from... Oh, no,
1: we can go full on spoiler okay. mode, yeah, absolutely. Because finding,
0: finding basically the Sith Temple or whatever with, with a yeah. ship in it yep. was like, oh, okay, all right. Well, that's all that is, you know, like it, it's it's it doesn't have the oomph to it because it doesn't it, it it reveals itself to simply be, well, I had to get her off the planet, so I might as well have made it interesting Right sort of thing. Well,
1: and it doesn't make it quite as interesting as even in the first book where they visit the old Jedi temple that Hera actually knew about because of her relationship with Kanan. Right. And you know, so where that played more organically, I think you're absolutely right. This plays less organically to abs- accidentally run into a black hole temple. You know, like, okay, yeah, uh, black hole sun, won't you come? <laughs> right, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm. I'm right there with you. Um, and again, I think one of the things too is that. You know, as much as we really learn about all of these characters and everything, the story hasn't done them any favors to make me feel like their stories are important. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier Mm. to where, look, I can read Star Wars books that don't have anything to do with main characters and like them. I have, Um, you know, I mean, let's just take um, Lost Stars as an example you know, uh, yeah. and, you know, you were able to craft something that made me truly care about these characters. And, and and part of that was because they felt a part of the Star Wars universe in a way that was just exciting and new and fresh, but all this, at the same time allowed me to kind of relive everything in a completely new perspective. You know, again, here I'm just not getting that with these characters because there's not enough connection to, to anything else in the star Wars universe to make me feel like this is truly a, even a star Wars book, honestly can like, yeah, I don't even really other than the star Wars terminology. If you took all of that out, this book could have been any sci-fi series out there and I wouldn't have known the difference. Right.
0: Well, I, I, I agree with that. I think that also one of the things that hampers the book is there's a lot of plot, but not a lot of story. Um, yeah, especially yeah. with being split into two parts, like my whole sense was like, I get the sense wanting to have a lot of book, but that doesn't make it epic by default, right? Like you yeah, could break absolutely. out parts of this and turn it into, you know, uh, over on aggressive negotiations, we have the Jedi book club where we're rereading those very short uh, Jedi apprentice books from the, you know, the, the the prequel era, right? And they're super short books, but. There's still a sense they build. It, it lays into that serial nature. And so I would have preferred to see this turned into a serialized series where Freed is given the opportunity to let it really breathe and just approach it a chunk at a time and just, you know, chip away at it and build up so that eventually by the end you have this big thing as opposed to this is. Know, it's almost like death by a thousand cuts where it's like uh, there's so much going on there. It's what it's one of the big things that undercuts the focus.
1: Well, and I think one of the things and truly to that point we've seen with the Clone Wars, right? You can effectively tell a Clone a Star Wars story in 30 minutes or less. Yes. You know, um, and it can be some of the greatest Star Wars you've ever seen. So it's not about length. It's about the story. And Mm -hmm. the characters. And I think one of the things that um, this does is that we're not being driven by character. We're being driven by plot. Right. And that's the, I think that's where the disconnect comes in with the characters. um, Yeah. And and why I don't care about them as much.
0: Yeah. And and again, it's, you know, I, I know I'm going out of my way to repeatedly say this isn't the reflection of freed he he writes these characters well, and he really does he's created some interesting personality quirks and interactions with everybody, but there's this i don't have and and this is going to sound odd, but there should be somebody within the context of this book or both books or whatever who I'm rooting for who
1: right yep,
0: there's some sort of resonance with that character. And the difficulty, I think, is uh that there is a character I have that resonance with, but she's not in the book enough for me to spend time with her and right, be right interested in what's happening. Yep. Yep. Because it's it's like, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring her in, let's use her.
1: You know? Well, I mean, it's good yeah, it's a great time to talk about the fact that, you know, Hera is in this book more often. Uh, Which is great, but I think the problem that I have with it is that Hera could be any Star Wars general. It does not have to be Hera. And if you're going to utilize a character in Star Wars, it needs to be that it needs to be that character and that character only. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I think back to the story of when they were creating Solo and they were going back and forth with who it should be uh, that was the head of Crimson Dawn. And once they hit upon Maul it just all came into place. You know, it Mm -hmm. just made it it. And it, it really capitalized on everything that had been done in the clone wars to make sense that this is who this character should be. Uh, and whereas Hera here, there's really nothing that she does in this series that is anything different than any generic star Wars general. Um, and if you're not going to use a character and their history and who they are to really play into the series, you're you're wasting them. And so it's just frustrating because you know, I love Hera. She's my favorite character from uh Rebels and here to have her so mistreated, I feel like, in the sense of just not giving anything important to do, um, in a way that really benefits her as a character, that's just disappointing.
0: Yeah. I uh I, I agree. I, I love Hera and it's it really is something where because she's just in a generic role and used in a generic way, it detracts from the book as like I would have preferred her not to be there. Yep. Because yep. every time she showed up I kept saying, Okay, all right, other shoes gonna drop here. I'm gonna find out spend a little more time, find out some more with Hera, have her, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so it winds up taking me out of the story. Yep. Because it's like, Oh well, okay, all right, that's fine. And I think that's just one of those things that you have to be careful as well because I haven't read as many of these books as you have. Um, I've read a fair number. But the whole Ray Sloan character is interesting to me, but I, whenever I've encountered her, I only get her in like a chapter or two yeah, at a time. Yeah, it's true. And it's like, I I feel like I should really care about this character, but I haven't been given a reason to yet. You can't just give me little, you know, like, you know, 10 pages at a time because there's no way I'm going to connect to her. Right? Like may, maybe in the next book, she has a larger part and there's some sort of history with her and Hera and they really go head to head. But then you're running the risk of, well, you spent these two books building up all of these shadowing and alphabet squadron characters. And now you're going to shift the focus to these other characters that, you know, it it, it just, I think it becomes a, uh, a great big symptom of these books and I don't mean these alphabets, I mean, expanded universe books in specific about how careful you have to be with the formulation.
1: No, I mean, I, I just honestly couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it is frustrating that, you know, she really just, I don't feel like is, is given her, uh, given the due that she's deserved. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, and it's interesting too, because you know, uh, Erica Quell is really the character that these books seem to have been kind of based around in many ways. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting to see, I thought, you know, this, uh, this theme of like secrets and the fact that, you know, she's had this secret hanging over her head the whole uh, time. Uh, it's like a sort of Damocles just right over her head. And we know it's going to fall. And right. it's what kind of destroys the group. Um, and I just found this so interesting because, you know, it's kind of in light of the world we live in, um, where redemption really seems out of style and, uh, you know, if somebody's made a mistake, they're kind of immediately canceled, you know, uh, it seemed interesting to me that in Star Wars, where redemption is such an important subject that we would immediately disregard Um, This person and say, oh, no, all of these people are immediately going to turn their back on her. They're not going to even let her explain. They're not going to talk to her. Nobody talks Mm -hmm. to her. Um, You know, it just seems like that's not Star Wars, you know, because Star Wars is about characters being redeemed to me. Right. You know? Yeah. My my
0: entire um reaction to that was that when her backstory gets revealed, when she gets outed, as it were, um it's just a, a a jerk move. Because it's like, oh, I might be dead or missing and so Erica Quell is a terrible person. It's like, oh well that what what? That wasn't cool? Why would you do that? Like why would that be your, your parting you know, your parting shot with everything? Like it just, and I know that you're supposed to. I mean, maybe that's the intent—is to be like, "Oh, well, war is messy, and people do mad, you know, nasty things and everything." But it's like it totally made me disconnect because it, like you said, it's not start like. And we've talked about this too, about the whole idea that you know, to a certain extent, the sequels sort of throw away Darth Vader's redemption, and then th- there's this move away here from the idea that a character can even be redeemed. And yes, sure. Oh, you know, she took part in a terrible, awful thing. Yes, that's true. And maybe her motives for coming to Alphabet Squadron weren't, you know, altruistic to begin with, but that's the idea of redemption being a journey. Yeah,
1: that exactly.
0: You, you might even, you might go to that first AA meeting for no other reason than your friend pressures you into it. And you might even drink after you go to it or something like that. But then eventually you keep going to the AA meeting. And what's interesting is that that sort of makes me think of something that I thought was somewhat interesting was uh, with with Chass's character when she winds up falling in with the cult. It's that that was kind of interesting because we get different believers in the force that aren't the Jedi that aren't the Sith. And that's an interesting thread to pull on. I would have actually preferred more of the book focusing on that.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you there. The whole Force cult thing was fa- fascinating with Chass, and um, the idea that, um, you know, what was fascinating to me to hear that after the Battle of Endor, life removed from this oppression of this monolithic empire, that we are seeing a resurgence in basically religious philosophy um, mm-hmm. throughout the galaxy. Uh, which is fascinating. It's you know it it makes sense you know. And what's what was fascinating to me is that the the children of the empty sun here in this system, they talk about this idea of like you know, the the new republic basically and everybody else has been kind of doing things the same way, and it's all about like violence you know like and so their whole idea is to try to cultivate what they believe the force wants, which is to flourish life, tranquility, mm-hmm. community. Uh, and yet, you know, all these ruling powers to them only want to fight. And so, yeah. you know, how do you make a better civilization le- with that? And which it, it makes sense why this philosophy would be so appealing to people when you've had 30 years of Imperial rule and, you know, rebellions aren't the only thing built on hope. Our lives in general are just built on hope and we need that hope. And so Mm -hmm. now that the empire is gone, people are feeling the ability to have freedom to express themselves in ways that they, it's basically the explosion of religious freedom here in the star Wars galaxy and kind of something that you and I have talked about, uh, on aggressive negotiations of, of, you know, that idea of that, one of the things that luke maybe was meant to do was to kind of help bring that back out into the the galaxy with evangelize. the force and yeah. evangelize and that's kind of something that did not happen um and we kind of see these cults exercising their newfound freedom of religion and that's absolutely fascinating and i'm with well, you that... i would have loved more of that
0: yeah and, and and that is even a thread that it's puzzling to me that they don't Follow or pull on, or whatever you want to so say, I mean, mixing up my analogy or whatever, but like that would be interesting in and of itself if there was some sort of payoff where you found out that Luke was, you know, conducting outreach to these groups to try to establish this idea of, well, maybe we can all work together because I'm supposed to find a new way and not right. establish a Jedi Order. So let's see what what we can share with each other and and figure out so that I don't make the same mistakes of the past sort of thing. And that... So, I, I mean, the thing is, and even just talking about it just makes me more frustrated about the way things did go because it's like, ah! Yeah, but like, yeah. you know, especially because there's been this whole, you know, thread in the comics and everything with, with uh, you know, Luke is hunting down artifacts and looking up the, the, the history of the Jedi in the past and everything like that. Like, this sort of thing could tie very much into why wouldn't you know you want to tie Hera in why wouldn't there be sort of an alert from the you know from the new republic to be like you know it's of interest if you encounter any forced believers to maybe you know send us a note so that somebody can come out and talk to them and yeah. try to figure figure things out you know or or at least figure out you know some sort of theological summit or something you know who knows what have you and that that would be that would be an interesting sort of thing to you know tie these characters in uh in, in that aspect
1: yeah I, I mean again what i what i'm finding with a lot of this this sequel era um in the books specifically is that there are lots of good ideas that are not being allowed the ability to be truly fleshed out mm-hmm. uh and it it it's just this kind of hodgepodge of things that's like we're going to put a little this in there and a little this in there, you know, and and, and it just it doesn't feel as cohesive, you know. And part mm-hmm. of that is I think there's I, I, I get the feeling like there's, again, just so much that these authors are not able to do that they might want to do. Right, Um, And, you know, we had a whole aggressive negotiation on, uh, you know, the different eras of Star Wars books and literature. And I think, you know, this era, one of the things that makes me more excited to be in. um, So like the next book we'll be covering here on the network uh, is uh, the the book about Poe and, you know, what what had him kind of leave his dad after his mother died and kind of get into spice running and meet, you know, uh, Zori Bliss and all that. And, you know, to me, that's a fascinating story. You know, I I want to know more about that because it connects with a character that I really like and all those kind of things. And it kind of Mm -hmm. helps set up all that stuff, which is great in, in much the same way that, um and it's what's funny it's it's one of the um young adult books, which those have tended to be at least in the sequel trilogy era I found a little bit better
0: more for the rewarding. most part more no, rewarding yeah yeah I rewarding. think you're right,
1: I'm more rewarding um and I think that's the thing that I come down to here, just as I'm kind of coming to the the end of of this and kind of thinking about ratings um is that there is a good thought process behind a lot of this, Mm -hmm. but it just is not executed in a way that makes it truly enjoyable now to, to really read, Mm -hmm. um, and, and rewarding in its reading. And, and we've talked about that many times. If you're going to read a tie in novel, it needs to be rewarding to you in the sense that it helps expand the universe in a way that it changes the way you watch something, whether it's one of the TV shows, whether it's the movies. And and I would say the Alphabet Squadron books honestly don't change anything for me and anything that we've seen. And that's not good enough. It's just not. And so um, I guess for me, I'd say my rating is honestly two and a half out of five stars um, because – Theres some good stuff here, but yeah. it's just not allowed to be executed to the fullest extent
0: same spot two and a half stars from me um freed is a good writer I like his style I think that there are certain points where he has a really uh, good gift with um, you know imagery and metaphor and stuff like that um, but yeah it it's it's a it's it's not as rewarding as it should be. And right. so, yeah, I'm right there. Two and a half. Uh, if you look it up on Goodreads, uh, I get, you know, cause Goodreads only gives uh full star ratings. So I rounded up to a three on there um, just because I, it, it, it's really weird. I just don't, I don't, um, I don't want to say the word blame or anything, but like I, it's not, I don't blame Freed. I know he's a good writer. And so I, I just, I think that there's just, there should be, um i don't know better guidance for the writers uh and maybe even a little bit more freedom for them
1: uh yeah absolutely you know i i think freedom is a is a good key word is is to open up things a little bit more um and you know and and possibly you know giving them enough structure to where you can say look you can't touch this this and this right because we're going to be going into that in the mandalorian but you know, the rest of it's great. You know, I, I think that's kind of what we need right. is is just to be able to have these guys uh, and, um, you know, these writers um, just to have that freedom. And so, uh, John, um, I'm interested, though, because we always end the show with recommendations. And so I'm fascinated to see what you are going to be recommending to the people today.
0: My my goodness. Uh, you know what? I, I didn't come uh, as prepared as I should have been. But I can tell you that uh recently i i decided to rewatch uh rambo first blood part 2.
1: Oh, nice. and uh <laughs> i haven't watched
0: that movie in many many years but what what i will say is this is the reason i would recommend it is uh, vietnam left a, a very deep psychological scar on uh american society. and this uh actually the screenplay was uh was co-written by james cameron uh who The research he did for this, uh, actually led to the creation of the movie Aliens. So a great thing came from this film. Uh, but it's very interesting film to watch, specifically because its concern is about POWMIA, which was a very big thing in the eighties, uh, as regards the Vietnam War. But also it goes for broke in the, in the, in the end of it and just becomes a really interesting precursor to the John wick level of indestructible action hero sort of stuff. And at the time, the level of violence in it was somewhat controversial. It it was an incredibly violent action movie and to rewatch it now, or to watch it for the first time, you will look at it and you will say, This is a lesson in desensitization because in the 80s, this was considered like, oh, my gosh, look at how violent this is. And the aforementioned John Wick has more brutal awfulness in it uh, than, you know, the last 30 minutes of this movie, which like the last 30 minutes is just a a running gun battle, basically. So um, it's pretty interesting stuff. Pretty interesting stuff.
1: You know, um, it's interesting because uh, I just finished reading, and uh, by the time this come up, will have come out, you'll my written review for it will be out. But um, they released, uh, you know, they had done myths and fables uh, for Star yeah. Wars, uh, mm-hmm. which was I found to be a really fun, imaginative book, kind of a great idea to to talk about you know, basically fairy tales and and myths uh, throughout the Star Wars galaxy. Well, they have now done. Um, Star Wars Dark Legends, which is Mm. basically the spooky, scary story version for the dark side uh, of that. And I found it to be very fun. Um, It was an enjoyable read. It's the kind of thing where you kind of want to almost pull it out uh, like during Halloween season, you know, and like read spooky stories to the kids. Um, But what was also fascinating to me is just how well... The author uh really played with the sith principles of like greed and envy and and anger and pride and all of these things, and really works these into these stories um and I just really enjoyed it it was it was it's the kind of thing that like it's just so much fun like you're really having fun with star wars in that sense um and you know having uh you know stories about you know sith lords and you know, people doing dumb things, uh, falling, uh, you know, haunted orphanages, you know, and that kind of stuff. It just, it was fun. Uh, you know, so if you like a, a, a kind of a slightly more morbid, scary star Wars, um, this was, was really enjoyable. So I definitely recommend, uh, dark legends, but, uh, John, before we get out of here, uh, where can everybody find you online?
0: Oh, just look for Kessel Junkie. That's my online name Um, on your social network of choice. Letterboxd is probably where I have the most fun. Uh, You can also find me um, over at KesselJunkie.com. When we record this, I've been writing a lot, so have fun with that. Uh, And you can find me over on the Nerd Party Network on a charming little show, at least I think it's charming, that is all about Star Wars. It's called Aggressive Negotiations. And uh, I, I have a wonderful time co-hosting that with uh, with somebody. Actually, actually, it's you, Matt. I co-host it with you.
1: Well, John, uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd Vero, under the name MattRushing02. Uh, you can also find me uh, here on the network doing the Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, we also, um, as a You know, I do aggressive negotiations with you, but I'm also doing owl posts over on the Nerd Party Network with Drea Kaufman as we talk about the Harry Potter series one chapter at a time. So, but we just want to say thank you so much for joining us and may the force be with you.